We are in Job. We are getting a second run with Bildad. And look, look, we have really good news. Only two chapters. Yay! (laughs) We're not going to know what to do with ourselves with so little material to cover. I promise we will make it all work out. So, warning on this. As we are going through these speeches a second time, and just going to go ahead and prepare you now. We're going to go through some of them a third time. (laughs) They get a third go-round on these things. We're going to run into some familiar themes because, let's be honest, you've never had an argument with someone where all of a sudden you're 10 minutes into the argument and you're going, didn't I already say this? Didn't I already deal with this point? Didn't you already make this point? Wait a minute. No, you were supposed to listen to my brilliance, agree with me, and then move on. Why hasn't that happened yet? That's how this argument went in my head in the shower this morning. Don't act like you've never done that. You've never planned your arguments out ahead of time. And you know the problem with doing that is the other person never plays the role like they're supposed to. Never in a million years. (laughs) It's never good. It's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't lose the argument. That's when you know you're in real trouble. But as we get these familiar themes, that enables us to, one, slow down on them a little bit. But two, it also enables us to highlight some of the other things because we can go, okay, we've covered this one. We know where this answer is. Now look at this part. The other part of this is there's actually, as you recognize that the person you're talking to isn't being convinced by the bad argument that you're making, you do try to expand on it. And there is this idea of talking around something long enough that you might actually zero in on it. We start to see a smidgen of that with Bildad today. So we do get some legitimate wisdom here. Emphasis on some. Now, key thing that you have to keep reminding yourself, where is your trust and what does that actually mean? Because, hang on, my voice does not want to cooperate all of a sudden. Because if you, if you don't define where your trust is, but then ultimately don't define what that should mean for your life, you end up talking around things like these guys are going to be doing constantly. The second part of this is going to be this. This is going to be very encouraging, I promise. What does it look like to persevere in hardship and under struggle? All right, so there's the question. Stop, answer for yourself, get a picture in your mind, and then I'm going to blow it up. You ready? It looks like Job. As bad as Job has been, why do we keep pointing out that why has Job not gone too far? Because as he's continually wondering, as he's continually circling around the idea of what's happening, that dragging of the Holy Spirit I always joke with you guys about, come on, move along, move along, move along, and there, you're... Yeah, yeah, you know, you're wrong, wrong way. You know, it's, it's planes, trains, and automobiles. The Holy Spirit's in the corner going, you're going the wrong way. And Job's kind of continually asking, how does he know where we're going? But because he's the one who's actually paving the highway ahead of you. As bad as this may be, and as lacking in wisdom as some of this may be, this is what perseverance looks like is it looks like getting there sometimes in a messy and ugly way and trusting that it is God who is going to pull the person through in the end, not their wisdom, not the person's wisdom, and not even necessarily our wisdom, but God's accomplishment. So with that little warning given, let's dive into chapter 18. Then Bildad the Shuhite responded, I won't make the joke again, how long will you hunt for words? Show understanding, and then we can talk. Right here. This is where I said we get close to a good idea, but we can't ever seem to quite get there. 
you want, some, you want to argue with someone who is wise, right? Who is trying to seek after wisdom. This is the, uh, the dichotomy of Proverbs. Do not answer a fool according to his follow, lest, he be wise in his, uh, lest you be like him. Or the very next verse is, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So when you see someone who doesn't have wisdom, which clearly seems to be where Job is arguing from, do you keep arguing with him or do you shut up and leave him alone? <laughs> Depends on a lot of things. Do you think you can get anywhere? Is the error so grave that it needs to be corrected? Can you accomplish something? Can you just not stand it? I mean, your level of stubbornness will enter into this. So how long will you hunt for words, show understanding, and then we can talk? Why are we regarded as beasts, as stupid in your eyes? Oh, you who tear yourself in your anger, for your sake is the earth to be abandoned or the rock to be moved from its place. Now, this is good and bad. Does, does Job need to relax and rest in wisdom? Yes, yes, he does. Does Job need to recognize that life does not revolve around him and he is not the center of the universe? Yes, yes, he also does need to know that. Is it helpful to tell the suffering person to get with the program? <laughs> probably not. So things like Matthew 19. And here's why this is probably not the best advice. Matthew 19. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, and by the way, the reason that would have been such a culturally big deal is if you were rich in that culture, why would you have been rich? What would have been the assumption of other people? You've been blessed by God. God has blessed you, therefore you have wealth. Therefore, to tell me that the person I assumed is blessed by God, it is almost impossible for them to get to heaven? Um, if the blessed guy can't get in, what does that say about the cursed guy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm suddenly not liking my chances here. Hence the reason the disciples heard this. They were very astonished and said, who then can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, your salvation does not depend on your definition of goodness. It depends upon God's work in salvation. It does not depend on your accomplishment. It depends upon God's accomplishment. Now, Hebrews 12 strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the lord so pursue peace and sanctification is built dead doing that is this a statement of someone who is pursuing peace is Bildad sitting around having watched Eliphaz go back and forth with him, having gone back and forth with Job himself, having watched Zophar go back and forth with Job, having watched Eliphaz go back and forth again, is Bildad sitting here going, you know what, the temperature in this room is a little hot and it needs to come down just a little bit. We need to calm down and get back to our foundation. Is that what Bildad's doing? Mm -mm. This is not pursuing peace. This is again why I say we're getting good themes, but we're not getting a good understanding. Now. This is a consistent problem. The friends are seeing any problem in this world, any discipline of the Lord, they are seeing as what? Judgment. This is the wrath of God poured out against sin. Job's biggest problem in their mind is that they have done something wrong, and that is why, or he has done something wrong, and that is why God has acted in such a way. Now, we know from the beginning of the book, is that the case? No. Christian. Here, I'm doing my Jack Sparrow impression again. 
Don't ask me why. Christian, is that the case in your life? No. Because judgment has already been poured out upon Christ on your behalf. Is that the case for Job? Careful, careful. Is that the case for Job? Yes. Why is he blameless? Why is he upright? Always remember, Abraham, Noah, Adam, Job, Moses. Pick an Old Testament saint. How do they approach the throne of God? The work of Christ. This is where Trinitarian theology is so important and why it is described the way that it is. Is Jesus... Is Jesus going to grow up one day and have to learn about this sitting in a synagogue in Judea? No. (laughs) That's why people are like, I like Jesus of the New Testament. I don't like the mean, nasty, angry God of the Old Testament. You do do know they're the same essence, right? You do do know that the same Jesus who told you to turn the other cheek is the same Jesus who commanded Joshua to destroy the Canaanites, who commanded Saul to wipe out the Amalekites, who blessed Esther and the rest of Israel to finish the job in Persia. You, like, you do know that Jesus wasn't sitting in heaven going, Dad, this isn't, this isn't very nice. Wait till I get to be in charge and see how, see how good I run things. You just don't understand. I mean, Jesus isn't a bratty teenager, all right? Be glad. See, you know I'm kidding, because otherwise God should have struck me dead for that one, right? <laughs> it's the same essence of God. It's the same person throughout the lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. The sacrifice of God has a little, The sacrifice of Christ, how long has that been the plan? From the, from, the began, from the beginning. That's why we didn't do it last year. The last couple of years, there's a Christmas song. I try to, I try to make sure we get in there. Um, go look it up, because I like it at Christmas time. Before the, uh, not before the throne of God. It's about the cross. It's not just about the manger where the baby lay. It's not all about the presents they gave to him that day. What's the cross? What's the, what's the uh, chorus? It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. That's the point of all this. That's been the point of all of this. This is why I'm, what am I always reminding you of? Adam and Eve, the sacrifice, the blessing to the whole world, the prophet like Moses, the ruler from the tribe of Judah, the king who will be eternal, promised to David. All of these things are pointing to what? to the work that Christ will accomplish. That's where the hope lies. We just stand on this side of the fulfillment. So we look back to the finished work of Christ. They were looking forward to the finished work of Christ. That's why Jesus can tell you, with men it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. The completed work was always meant to be completed in the person and work of Jesus. Now, if you forget all of that, if you have no hope of that, and you aren't longing for the salvation that God will accomplish, you start working for the salvation that who will accomplish? You. Which means when someone goes off the rails, whose fault is it? Not yours. They went off the rails, therefore it is their fault. That's what you're seeing played out in real time. Now, If you take that idea as the whole, all right, you ready? Here's where, this is why I tell you Job is a bit of a worldview book and why you have to fashion your worldview and anchor it in place before you dive in. With that thought process in mind, can Job get with the program? No, he can't. See, see, this is important. Why would you expect that Job could get with the program and walk in a better way than you assume he's been walking? What would be required for that to occur? Let's time out this way. What's the history of humanity when you leave them to their own devices? 
<laughs> and how much sin? I mean, we're not just talking about, oops, we've messed up this thing over here. What are we going to do? I mean, utter rebellion, corruption, and destruction from all humanity. And again, you don't have to move forward from Job historically to see this. You can look backward from Job. So look at the garden. Look at Cain and Abel. Look at Lamech and the descendants that come from Cain. Look at the world before Noah. Look at the world after Noah. Look at Noah and his children. Look at the tower. These are all primeval history. These are all things that would have predated Job. These are all demonstrations that when you leave humanity alone, you just let them go and see what they will produce. They produce death. There is a way which seems right unto a man, and in the end, that way leads to death. Psalm 14, there are none who seek after God. There are none who are good. That's where the song should have been about. No, not one. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry. This is, again, why I call this perseverance in action. You see a worldview founded upon the accomplishment of God and yet demanding the accomplishment of people. Now, at some point, somebody should have smacked someone else and they've gone home angry at each other. Why haven't they yet? Because God is working. God is accomplishing. God is bringing to fruition his explanation so that these things will come to pass. Now, here's where it gets real fun. Verse 5. Indeed, the light of the wicked goes out. The flame of his fire gives no light. The light in his tent is darkened, and his lamp goes out above him. His vigorous stride is shortened, and his own scheme brings him down. For he is thrown down, thrown into the net by his own feet, and he steps on the webbing. A snare seizes him by the heel, and a trap snaps shut upon him. A noose for him is hidden in the ground, and a trap for him on the path. All right, I'm going to stop, because you can go all the way to the end of the chapter, and you're going to get this repeated theme over and over again. What happens to the wicked man? Nothing good. Nothing good and everything bad. Now, biblical question, are the wicked judged? Yes. I mean, Psalm 1, right? The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, yes, wickedness Sin, iniquity, whatever word you want to give to it, will be judged. Now, you ready for the really fun question? All right. I'll take when for a thousand, Alex. When will this judgment occur? Because when do the friends think it's occurring? They see it right here and right now. When will it occur, Christian? Again, really good Bible verse to remember. Whenever anybody looks at you, and this is one of those angry atheist things that they, they've kind of gotten away from, but every once in a while they'll try to bring this up. There's no concept of the afterlife in the Old Testament. You'll hear that on occasion. This is an easy one to remember. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. See, 1, 2, 1, 2. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. I don't know a whole lot of things, but I do know who sleeps in the ground. That's, that's dead people. And now they're going to get up to face judgment. You know what that sounds an awful lot like? 
a concept of an afterlife. So whenever they look at you and say, well, there's no idea of it. The Jews had no concept of an afterlife, and there's nowhere written in the Old Testament. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Now, you may look at me and say, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's after Job. See, they didn't come up with that idea until later. <laughs> then let's go back and see what's before Job. Sorry, that was my bad maniacal laugh of the day. Genesis 3. What's the promise? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. There's a hope that at some point coming down the line, there will be a son born who will undo the work of this serpent, who will ruin he and his offspring. Genesis 4. This is the hope. Eve had relation, now Adam had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have received a child with the help of the Lord. So a concept that God is bringing things to pass. I'm making a point here. We're getting somewhere. Go to the end of that chapter. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed to me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth was born a son, he called him Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, let's go to something like the end of chapter 5. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now time out. How many people in Genesis 5, how many families do we have calling upon the name of the Lord? Who's us? That's part of the longing. What happened to Enoch earlier in the chapter? Enoch's special. Everybody else walks with God X number of years, and when the, what's the refrain of Genesis 5? And he died. Who's the one guy that doesn't happen to? Enoch, for God took him. Took him where? <laughs> Do you think like this whole family trusting in God? Like, well, you know, Grandpa, he was walking along, and just, yeah, off to the mothership someplace, and we've never seen him since. Now I don't know what's going to happen. You don't think that maybe there's a longing for hope, that there's a dwelling with God, that there's a hope for the future, that there's a work, there's a reason to pass this down for generation after generation? Because if it dies with me and then nothing else happens, what do I care what happens to you? I mean, in all honesty, rationality, there reaches a point where who cares if my kids follow God, if it doesn't mean anything. There's been a sense of longing and an understanding of the accomplishment of God from the very very beginning. Now, is that fully fleshed out in your Old Testament from the very beginning? No, no, it's not. This is part of human stubbornness and, and uh, lack of wisdom, I guess would be the right way to put it, is that as we think about these things more and we understand them more, we go, oh, wait a minute, and start to make sense of this. We start to write them down, and then they make more sense. But it's not like these ideas come out of a vacuum, which is how the secular world would try to get you to understand your scripture. We try to look at you, well, Daniel just, you know, pops up and he's trying to answer this question. He's trying to do this. No, he's trying to understand how where he stands lives in the fulfillment of all that God has promised before him. He's trying to understand how the work of God now in the exile is important based on the promises that God has made. He's trying to encourage the people that are in exile in the future generations that the work of God has not been forsaken nor forgotten because this destruction has come upon a sinful Israel, just as Jeremiah was doing, just as Isaiah was doing, just as the prophets had been doing the entire time, just as the law was always meant to point. This is something we've covered in Sunday school. So Sunday school class, you better get this right. All right, here. I'm digging in. For whom was the law intended? A saved or an unsaved people? The law was given to a redeemed people. You can't expect 
the pagan world to look at the law and go, you know, I like that. Things will go well. Society will be ordered. There's someone I don't look at telling me what to do. This is a good plan. I like this plan. Why won't they do that? Because they can't. They can't look at the command of God and say, I like this. This is good. I have desire to follow this. Because who do they have desire to follow? Yeah, me. Who's in charge around here? This guy right here. It is only with the benefit of the work of God, redeeming a people, that you can actually look at the command of God and go, I get it. And then look, even in your Holy Spirit-empowered, redeemed state, how often have you ever looked at the law of God and gone, mm, you know, <laughs> I, just how about, tell you what, <laughs> you've never done that. You've, yeah, you've never once gone Monty Hall with God and said, how about door number two? Door, no, okay, there is no door. <laughs> you've never once pulled that at any time. This is the insidiousness of sin. This is why, again, it's impossible in your power. It is impossible with people, but with God, it is possible. Which is, again, why time out. At this point, if you're Bildad, you want to lower the temperature in the room, you want to encourage Job, you want to get him and you back on the right track, who should you be pointing him to? God. Where should his salvation be found? God. Where is his rest located? God. What is everybody in all of these conversations pointed to? Us, right here. How we accomplish things, how we live. Now, stop once again. It's like my third stop time out of the day, isn't it? Am I going to run out? Okay, we'll take a 20. No. <laughs> Sorry, I used to help basketball coaches with that in high school. Be like, you have two timeouts left. <laughs> what? Don't, don't yell at me. You took them. <laughs> Sorry. This is why you have to be wary and wise as you enter into the world. Because everything in this world is designed to get you to look where? Down here. To be functioning here. I mean, take any of the modern, secular, big-issue arguments. Well, that's just, insert whatever it is, phobic. You're speaking words of death. People are going to harm themselves. People are going to be upset, and you're, going to, you're creating violence with your words. No, 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 I'm creating ideas with my words. People create violence with their actions. But why is that the argument? Because if I can get you to, uh, to realize that everything in your world, everything that you're saying, everything that we're arguing about is going to have an effect here. It's going to create things and demand that people do something here. Then I will get you to change how you speak because you are now focused on what? Everything that's going on right now. So taking X curriculum out of a school system is violence because there are children who won't be able to be comforted and identify. I don't care. I care about what is good and what is right. I care about the truth. Always remember, what's the rule in my house? No, that's that. That one's always in effect everywhere. But this is one of the rules that I get always all the time. That was mean. But was it true? <laughs> because if it's true... It's not mean. It's not nice. It's not cruel. It's not happy. It simply is. It simply is. Who's the guy who's always telling you to look in the mirror and have long, hard conversations? Yeah. Why? Because I want you to look at you in wisdom and in truth so that you can evaluate rightly, which means you can say the mean thing because the feelings have been set to the side just a little bit. 
You can say the hard thing because you're willing to deal with what is in the world, focused on a kingdom that is being revealed by God and a sanctification that you are being strengthened to walk in. It's not good or bad. It simply is right or wrong. Now, your mileage will vary. Terms and conditions may apply. You have to apply this in your world where it is wise and where it is prudent how you have interaction with people. Again, sometimes you need the snow shovel. You take the snow shovel and you go like the dude at the end of Home Alone. And, just, and sometimes you need to put the shovel down and sit down and negotiate and talk about things. You're seeing the snow shovel approach right here and it's working very poorly. I would argue because they have the wrong snow shovel. But at the same token, at some point someone needs to sit down and go, okay, we got to start over. We keep talking. I hear a lot of me and we and us and you. And you know what I'm not hearing a whole lot of? A whole lot of God. So let's stop. Let's start over and see if we can make sense of this. That's what should happen. Um, I got bad news for you. It doesn't. No, not even a little bit. So let's, all right, Sally, we're going to fast forward to chapter 19. So 19.1. <laughs> then Job responded. All right, brace yourselves. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be pretty. How long will you torment me and crush me with words? These 10 times you have insulted me. You are not ashamed to wrong me. Even if I have truly erred, my error lodges with me. If indeed you vaunt yourselves against me and prove my disgrace, know then that God has wronged me and closed his net around me. See, ah, I was with him. I was on Job's side for, for like four and a half verses. <laughs> and then it was just like right out the window. Because let's be honest. The three friends have done a terrible job. If anybody's got the right to be upset at this point, it's Job. Now, again, Job hasn't done well either, but if anybody's got the right to be angry, it's Job. Until you get to the point that you say something like, if indeed you prove my disgrace to me, know that God has wronged me. I was, I was with you until you said the part where, even if you prove to me my sin, this is God's fault. <laughs> I mean, I want to be on your side. Now, this is what it looks like when all perspective, again, gets balled up and thrown right out the window. Again, Christian, what's God accomplishing in your life? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Time out. Where's your hope, Christian? Where's your rest? Where is your sanctification? Where is your salvation? It's, how is God coming back and the dead being raised supposed to be a comfort to those who are standing here now? Because it's a reminder that this world is not the end. It's a reminder that it is God who triumphs, God who rules and reigns, and God who will stand at the end of history triumphant. Not the world, not the philosophies, not Satan, not sin, not anyone else, but it is God who will triumph. Once again... How much hope will you have in the triumph of God from the person who says, God has wronged me and closed his net around me? That's not a hope in God's accomplishment. Now, let's ask the second question. Job feels like he's been treated unfairly. What has Job received thus far? Uh, let's, be, let's be honest. Job's received now poor health. You know, he's sitting there. Keep in mind, while this whole conversation is going along, Job is using 
pottery to, you know, scrape his boils open. And I mean, that's got to be a fun little conversation, doesn't it? You know, while you're sitting there fussing at him and complaining at him, Job's over there, go, oh yeah, hang on, let me, oh, this is a good one. <laughs> so if you ever watch that Pimple Popper show, Job is doing it in real time, having that argument. Notice all the women know what that show is. What is it with that? I don't know any guy who loves that show, but women are just like, ooh, this is a juicy one. <laughs> just, is, is, was it a reminder of when you had the babies and you like all the little pokes and prods and checks you had to do? What is that? Anyway, if you don't know what this show is, don't go looking. I beg of you. See, once, yeah, once again, another guy's like, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Anyway, so he's received that. His family is gone. His possessions are gone. His life has been turned upside down. Now, again, I'm going to ask this important question. Is any of this unfair? (laughs) See, I got one from each side of the room. I went, nope. Christian, what does your sin deserve? (laughs) Smiting, right? You should die, and you should die slowly and painfully. I've, you know, I've told you like one of my favorite church history stories is that the Roman Empire tries to boil John in oil and it doesn't work. And I still to this day wonder how that happens. Like, did they actually drop him in the oil and it just didn't bubble? Like, is he just sitting there, you know? Like, now what, guys? Or did they drop him in and it bubbled and sizzled and he just sat there in the bubbling oil and it didn't cook him? I mean, I, I have questions. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, and if you're John at that point, do you just sit there and wait for him to pull you back out? Do you swim to the edge to get out? I mean, (laughs) these are what I refer to as the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools. See, I wonder about this sort of thing. I wonder about that here, because Christian, that's what you deserve. You deserve them to drop you in the boiling oil slowly. You know, like, like just a little one hand over the hand, you know, put you in, take you out. You know, like, like, like a little hokey pokey for a fritter that you should, that you're supposed to be. There's a mental image for you that you can enjoy the rest of the day. In your sin, that's what we deserve. The fact that you do not receive that on a regular basis is the mercy and grace of God. Even when things are bad, and I mean really, really, really bad, I think Job qualifies. Job qualifies as life has gone really, really, really not the way you would have planned it out. Like, nobody lays out their five-year plan when they're graduating high school and be like, well, you know, I'd like to be married and have a nice family and watch them all die, and, and then I can get sick and suffer for the rest of my days. That's, go team. That's what I, nobody signs up for that. And that's what he's received. So what? Christian, what are you called to do in this world? Romans chapter 6. We have been buried with him, talking about Christ, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For, we have be, so, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Do dead people suffer? Do dead people complain? <laughs> Do dead people rejoice? <laughs> These are fun little questions. No, let's, let's be honest. This would be a little cold right now. I understand that. But what do dead people do? Nothing. Nothing. Your old self is supposed to be dead. The things that are tormented by this world are supposed to be dead. 
the things that rejoice in the things of this world are supposed to be dead. Now, does that mean we have no joy in anything in life? No. Grandbaby, what do we do? Celebrate. This is good news. We take that. But let's, I'm going to pick on you. You ready? Okay. Just make, make sure you're okay with it. If Mike and Jan make their entire life about that great-grandchild, is that a good thing? No. Should they make a large portion of their life about that child? Yes, absolutely. But if their entire life centers around that great-grandchild, is something out of balance? Yes. You rejoice. You celebrate the good things of God, but you do not allow them to take God's place, to usurp the position he is supposed to occupy. That is what you're seeing with Job here. God has wronged me. I have been cast down. He has forgotten any concept of mercy and grace. He is resting solely in seeing judgment and destruction. There is no joy in the work of God. There is not even hope in the perseverance that God provides. Now again, time out. Can you see the perseverance of God being provided? Yes. Yes, you can. You've seen it in previous statements. The fact that they're still having this conversation is part of it. So, unfortunately, (laughs) Job continues. Behold, I cry violence, but I get no answer. I shout for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has put darkness on my paths. He has stripped my honor from me and removed the crown from my head. And I am going to stop there because you can continue reading Job's complaint all the way through verse 22, which is impressive. I mean, there were, this is, again, why I couldn't be the person to comfort Job, because I think at this point I'd be sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and yada, yada, yada. Would you stop whining? Always remember, in my house, Cameron is the loving, caring one. When the kids come running into the room crying, Cameron's answer is, what's wrong? Mine is, what did you do? <laughs> to the point when they were little, little, we actually had the system worked out, so something would happen, they would cry, Cameron would pick them up and just hold them, and while she held them, I would do the inspection. <laughs> like, okay, you're crying, why are you crying? It's not your foot, there's nothing broken, okay, you're good, they're fine, they'll be alright, let them go. <laughs> Cameron's like, you're mean, they're fine, put them down, they're good. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how we operate. When Cameron's sick, she wants someone to take care, run errands, when I'm sick, lock me in the room, leave me a bottle of water, and just leave me alone. I'll either die or I'll survive. It'll be one way or the other. I will figure it out. So, (laughs) now, is Job suffering? Yes. Is Job suffering under the judgment of God? No. So, this means there's a very, very important question that has to be asked. Why is Job suffering? To what end is Job suffering? Now, let's again remember historically how God has worked. So let's go to something like Joshua 5, as Israel is preparing to go to battle. When they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of this place, of that place, is called Gilgal to this day. Now, not about you, but literally cutting off parts of my anatomy does not sound like a fun way to remove the reproach from me, does it to you? No, and yet it through that suffering, through that work, God declares them clean. Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. Um, Those two things don't work together, do they? (laughs) Me in sin and iniquity, you desiring innermost truth. No, not typically. And in the hidden... Sorry. 
And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Why does God still allow the consequences for your sins in this place? Why does he still allow the suffering and the difficulties of this world? Why does he indeed cause them in many instances? Because what drives you closer to God than difficulty? That's why Paul tells you Romans 5, Peter tells you 1 Peter 1, James tells you James 1, Jesus literally tells you things like Luke 12. You bear up under trials. You stand firm under pressure. You persevere through struggles. When do you learn a new skill? Do you just like pick up everything and you're amazing at it? If you are, don't tell me. I don't like you, so... No, typically every skill that you have was learned how? Failure. Have you learned more from your successes in life or from your failures? And I'm serious about that. You learn a lot of times from something you did wrong. Think about your spouse. You learned what not to say, right? <laughs> Note to self, don't say that one again. Oh, it's, it's never good when you get that much giggle. <laughs> He's like, don't say that one again. Don't go there, you know? Because every guy at some point, oh, you sound just like your mother. <laughs> Run away! You've all said it at least once. It's okay. <laughs> you learn from how you have messed up and how not to do it again. And then you've learned how to do it the right way by seeing what went wrong. You don't typically remember overcoming all your success. No, you remember persevering through struggle. This is how humanity is wired. This is how God has operated in our world. You bear up under pressure to realize that your power fails, that your wisdom falls short, that your ideas are not good, but that God's are eternal, that God's accomplishment stands, that his kingdom is what will stand at the end. So in other words, Job is getting a really good lesson in what? the perseverance of God and how that leads to the perseverance of his people. Forget that, lose perspective on what is going on. Hebrews 12 again. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? See, that's an important reminder. The fact that Job is here, the fact that Job is still clinging to his integrity, as chapter 2 reminded us, the fact that he is still willing to have this argument should be a reminder that who's at work? God. Which means that there is perseverance through this, so that no matter what I'm facing, I am not facing it alone. Again, our funeral verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For, good old King Jimmy, thou art with me. In my darkest times, he is there. Now, if you want to see why I can say all this in my proof, all right, you ready to have theological whiplash? Are you prepared? Your seatbelt on, tray table in seat in the upright positions. Verse 23. We're skipping the 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. All right. Unintentional comedy in the Bible is the best comedy, and this is an example of unintentional comedy because Job's words are <laughs> inscribed in the book. They made it to the book. Now, time out. Fourth time out. I'm not out yet. I think I still got one more. 
why would Job's words be inscribed in the book? Who would be empowering them if they were inscribed in the book? 2 Peter 1, we have the prophetic word made more certain, to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. I want my words written down. I want God to etch them in stone for all generations. Okay, one, he did. Two, you want God to empower your speech. You want God to lift you up. Why would you want God to lift you up if you think God is trying to crush you? This is what perseverance looks like. All right, here's your whiplash. Prepare yourselves, grab your seats, make sure you're sitting down. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Dude, like where did that come from? God hates me. God's going to crush me as I'm scraping the boils. Even as my flesh is destroyed, I will see God. Why? Because my Redeemer lives. <laughs> he knows. This is why I tell you every once in a while, it's like that goes right over your head, splattering on the wall behind you. This is... This is what perseverance, based on the work of God, looks like. Wrong, 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 wrong. Shining light of praise. Wrong, 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 wrong. It's like, once again, Job was, I don't want to go that way. Shut up. You're going this way. It's, it's that little, remember that little gangster dude in the Bugs Bunny commercial? Shut up, rabbit. I'm shutting up. I'm shut up, shutting up. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right here. Job shut up for one second and boom. Brilliance comes flying out. This is what perseverance looks like, Christian. This is what hope in God, regardless of what's going on around you, is meant to be. Um, go to Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not freely with him give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, people are dying. People are struggling. People are facing hardships of every kind. And we trust God. And that's what conquering looks like. That's what Christian sanctification looks like. It looks like standing in the midst of trial, standing in the midst of struggles and hardships, standing in the midst of a dark world and saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the end, I will see him. I will stand face to face. Whom, uh, verse 27, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within. That's a hope. That's a longing in the midst of <laughs> crushing. 
Christian. That's what it's supposed to look like. Now, is that what it always looks like for God's people? No. Is that mostly what it even looks like here for God's people? No. Therefore, rejoice. This is Paul's example again. He saved me as an example that I hadn't gone too far. You could say that about every character in your Bible, couldn't you? He uses Abraham, an idolater, as an example of what? That you hadn't outrun his mercy and grace. He uses Moses as an example of what? That you didn't go too far. David, Solomon, Samson, Elijah, as an example of what? That you didn't go too far. That you can see wisdom and praise in Job as an example that in all your lunacy, you didn't go too far. That you can return to Christ that you can rejoice in his work and be lifted up and know that his kingdom will stand and that his work is being accomplished day by day, even in the difficulties and hardships of life. And that's why Job can continue. If you say, how shall we persecute him? And what pretext for a case against him can we find? Then be afraid of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword so that you may know there is judgment. That's to his three friends, by the way. Job got a good little praise song in there and said, oh, and by the way, if you think you can tear me down, know that God will get you. (laughs) Now, is that true? Yes. Because if you war against God and I belong to him and you war against me, then I don't have to fight you here. God will conquer. And that's what I have to worry about. Now, let's time out. See, I'm out of time out, so we got to finish up now. With all of that said, imagine you're Bill Dad. Imagine you're just some fly in the wall sitting across from this conversation, and that is where Job has finished up. You now say, <laughs> see, this is again, you're, it's, it's, it's right here. Or like when we used to take our baseball players away, put the ball on the tee, now hit the ball on the tee. See, it's nice and easy. It's not moving, it's not traveling, you just, whack, it's fun. Nothing complicated, nothing difficult. Yes, Job, you know your Redeemer lives and you will see him at the last. Therefore, how do we get back on the right track where we are praising God and walking through this difficulty so that our faith is not shaken, so that your strength is lifted up, and so that God be praised in the midst of all of this? How do we get there? What do we do? How do we understand this? How do we understand what's going on around you in light of the fact that you belong to God and he is at work and he will redeem you into the end? Now. May that, will, that, will that be perfectly clean and not messy at all? No, and I'm not trying to argue that it would be. But it would be better than where we are. Yes, yes it would. The fact that we're not getting there is because, once again, perspective is gone. Vision has been lowered, and hope has been placed here. Christian, this is the temptation we face all the time. You look at the news, you look at the stories that are going on, and you go, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this. Well, I get that. God has not forgotten. His kingdom is not shaken. The foundations have not been lost. He will stand at the end. And as you walk, you proclaim his goodness and his mercy as a reminder that God has not finished the judgment on you. How do I know that? Because I'm talking to you. Therefore, there is hope. Therefore, there is peace that can be found in Christ. As an example, look at me. I made it. And I'm making it by his grace and by his power and by his mercy. And the same power that carries me forward is the same power that carries all of his children forward. That's where the hope and the peace and the rest is to be found. If we try to find it anywhere else, we're doomed. If we try to proclaim it anywhere else, 
we've left our weaponry at home and we have no chance. This is how we have to interact with the world, based upon the hope that is found in Christ and his kingdom. Nowhere else. Let's pray.